What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Reports, college football, NFL, and NFL Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Miller, joined on a Wednesday by my guy, Connor. And if you've noticed, the intro has changed, Connor. We are no longer... I remember when we started, and we were like an NFL Draft Podcast. And then it was like, hey, we want you guys to do some college football. All right, we're college football podcast, too. Now... We just cover football, That's man. It. It's NFL, oh, college man. football, NFL draft. I'm ready for the XFL to start. We're in it right now covering football, and I'm I'm really excited for what we have coming up in this 2019-2020 season. I really like it that way because obviously our loyal listeners know that we did the AAF when that had its three weeks of fame, and we will probably do the XFL because I'm sure they'll get Johnny Manziel or something like that. And, of course, we're going to do the NFL draft, stick to our roots as always. But the blend of college and NFL together, which really leads to the draft, is what makes this show so special. So we have a really fun season ahead. I I would argue we are going to have more content than ever, not just out of the office, but also in studio. And we really can't wait to get things going. Yeah, it really can't. And I before we move into today's show, I will say, I think this works really well. Um, not that we're pivoting to one sport or away from another, but um, and, and not to take away from from any of the three of us, but I feel like we all have a specialty. Mellow is college football. You love the NFL and, and do a great job of keeping up with everything going on there. And and how I got my start the is the guy. NFL draft. Right. So I think people want to keep me there. So it works really well because I, I think it also allows us to somewhat specialize, but then also continue to cover the other sports. So uh, the other sports meaning college football, NFL, NFL draft. So it's going to be a hell of a year. I'm excited. But today's show is also a fun one. We've got some news and notes. We're going to give you the stick to football futures list for GMs, not specific to the Jets or the Texans like we've done in the past few weeks, but any job that opens up, these are the names. If I were an owner, if I were a consultant, if you were a consultant, Connor, these are the names that we would have on there. We're also going to get into the teams that you want to smash the over on. If you're betting on football, if it's legal where you live now, these are the teams you're going to bet on. And then we got a couple draft on draft questions to close it out. Let's start here, man. The Houston Texans do not have a general manager. What they do have is a player playing under the franchise tag in Jadevian Clowney. A guy who was the number one overall pick has been a very productive, I would even say quietly productive, uh, NFL player, nine sacks last year, nine and a half the year before, uh, six in his sophomore year, four and a half in a rookie year, uh, excuse me, in a sophomore year that got a little slow rookie year, he was hurt. But uh, a player that has a ton of uh, production, a ton of ability, and he comes at a premium position, the Texans seem willing to just let him play out the $20 million franchise tag for this year, but he is not at camp because he wants a long-term deal and he's not going to show up until they give him one. This is one that it's hard to imagine it getting better quite soon, to be honest with you here, Matt, because here's the problem. And I know the guy that was trying to move him or at least was open to moving him is now no longer the GM and Brian Gain. But the problem here is I think from the organization top down, They are not interested in giving Jadavion Clowney that long-term, big guaranteed money extension that he seeks. Now, like you said, Matt, these last two years, he's been a productive player, a productive, healthy player at one of the most important positions in football. And as a run defender, as a pass rusher, the problem is obviously long-term health concerns, I think. And and, uh, you have to wonder, here's the issue for Clowney, and I'm always for players getting paid, getting their security. I completely side with them on that uh, when these situations pop up. His name has been available for not a lot for a couple months now, Matt, and teams did not bite because of the same fear the Texans have. They don't really want to pay a lot of money beyond this year right now. Will things change as teams start to carve out, hey, we're more of a contender than we thought, or hey, we have a hole At this pass rusher spot, this guy can put us over the top. He's not a Khalil Mack kind of player, but he's still a damn good one. So I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. Maybe they get a new GM in there that sells kind of low on him or lower than Brian Game was interested in selling on him and things will move up. Or maybe they find a way to get a Band-Aid deal for the next two years instead of one year. But this one, it just doesn't seem like it's going to get better anytime soon. And as far as the trade, uh, any you know trade consideration, I will say this. I, we were talking about it on the show before the draft even, that there was talk that the Texans might try to move Jadamian Clowney, but they were wanting three picks. Not three first-round picks, but three picks. And then the team that traded for him was going to have to pay him 
15, 16 million dollars a year. So I think that's why we haven't seen movement on Jadavian Clowney. Of course, now we can't because there's not a GM there. And I would say for Cal McNair, who now is the owner of the Texans, I actually think this puts a little pressure on him to make a hire quickly. Now, you don't want to rush it and you don't want to prematurely hire someone. It seems like Nick Casario is their guy. They put in a request for him. Uh, maybe maybe he finally leaves the Patriots, and I know we're going to talk about that shortly. But until they have a GM, they really can't make any moves on Jadavian Clowney unless the owner and head coach, and they can do this, unless they want to come in and say, you know, hey, we're not going to do anything this year. You got to wait. Or unless they want to come in and say, here's a, you know, a two- to three-year deal like you mentioned. So it, it is fascinating because you have – such a good player, such a talented player at a position that every team needs. And he's sitting here right now, kind of in purgatory between getting a contract and between getting moved. And here's the other thing, Matt. This is a team that expects to be in the playoffs this year. You can't move one of your best players on defense when you're coming off. They just went 11 and five. Like the expectations aren't like, hey, you know, we're going to reload or retool on the defense. No, like you have a core in place. And you have some questions in the secondary right now that I don't care that they drafted Lonnie Johnson. They did not answer the corner questions right now for me where that pass rush matters a lot. So I hope they could find middle ground here. And speaking of the Texans, I mean, Matt, I think you agree with this. All signs point to they are like the Jets chasing Joe Douglas. They are chasing Nick Casero and and trying to get him no matter what it takes right now. Yeah, and it is. I mean, that's the best match. And I would say that, you know, we've banged the table for guys in the past like Chris Ballard or or like Joe Douglas. And now I think you can look out there and say Nick Casario would have been on the top of so many lists, but we never thought he would leave. So it's different because this might be he finally might be willing to go. He might finally be willing to leave New England and the comfort of Bill Belichick to have his own team because he is such a good fit um, with Bill O'Brien, who is absolutely calling the shots down there. I would like to point that out. I know some people are like, well, he called the shots before and got Brian Gain. It's different now. He is truly calling the shots right now. Uh, how about in Kansas City, man? Chris Jones, star defensive tackle. We had thought for a long time he might be close to getting a new deal. Now he is officially skipping uh, camp because he wants this long-term deal. They have to get this done. He is one of the best defensive tackles in football. Um, and excuse me, mini camp, not camp, uh, 13 sacks last year was dominant and a huge piece of their plans this year after adding Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew, uh, knowing Andy Reid and Brett and Brett Veach, like we do, I think they're going to get this done. And, and yes, him missing camp, mini camp. It sucks a little bit, but the guy was amazing last year. Um, missing voluntary OTAs, not a huge deal to me, but this is something that they have to get done. It might not have been quiet for you, but I think across the league, the NFL fans, Chris Jones might have quietly had, I mean, he might have had the most quiet 15 and a half sack season I've ever seen. He's one of the best defensive linemen in football right now, and he's 24 years old. I think this is one where I'm with you. I feel pretty confident Kansas City is going to find a way to get this one done because he's been a fantastic player since he's gotten there and stepped on the field. And you look at the growth year to year. You talk about someone that came in and was a good rookie, but maybe not inflated numbers. Then you talk about year two, six and a half sacks for a defensive end, you know, that size with good run stopping production. Then you go to 15 and a half sacks. This is a game changing player that you traded for Frank Clark, who's now entering his prime. This is the guy you want on the defensive line with him for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this defense could be nasty. You know, we talk so much about the offense in Kansas City. My God, the defense could be crazy special with Frank Clark next to Chris Jones. I don't I don't know many people who could compete with that. So I think it is it's important for them to get this done um, to to lock him up. And and I wouldn't be upset if he ends up being the second highest paid defensive tackle in football, because I actually do think that that's his ceiling you know, being one of the best defensive tackles in the game. So the Chiefs have something good there. They got to lock it up long term. That's it for news and notes, man. Let's take a break and we're going to dive deep into this future GMs list. So if you think your team might be firing a GM soon, or if your team has a great scouting staff and you're afraid you might lose someone soon, you're going to want to listen to this next segment. 
All right, y'all, we are back, and this is a big list of future GMs. It is, in fact, so large, Connor, that we had to break it down by tiers. You came up with a great system for this. I love it. I'm going to let you explain how we did this. So we're going to do this in three different ways. We're going to go through, because I I don't want anyone complaining if we forget one, (laughs) the top guys that probably won't leave. And, And most of you that listen to this show are so familiar with those names because we talk about them probably five to six times a year when they get put on interview requests that are often turned down, or sometimes they take the interviews and they simply change their mind or they get a raise where they are very content. So we're going to go through all the top guys that you're familiar with that probably won't leave anytime soon. Next, the top guys that might leave. These guys are in a place where yes, they're happy. Yes, they are very, very good at their jobs, but at some point they want to try out being a GM and they're blocked right now by very, very top GMs in front of them. Then the third tier Names that you probably don't know. These are the underrated scouts, directors, co-directors, and VPs, although a lot of the VPs are on the top list already, across the NFL. So this is going to be fun, Matt. I know you have a Rolodex of names (laughs) that I'm really excited for us to go through together. It's ridiculous, yeah. Do you want to start things off with the guys who we don't expect will leave? I think so, and I think... These are the four that are obvious to me. Now, I think you might have some more here, but the four that are obvious to me, Will McClay in Dallas right now is very, very content. He gets people put out feelers every year. I think the Jones family just pays him more and more money each year as he runs their draft, and he does a phenomenal job. George Payton in Minnesota, he's denied the Jets three times. So that's a, Ed Dodds in Indy, I actually do believe will be a GM one day. I just think he's very content at this moment with Chris Ballard and what they're building in Indianapolis. And the fourth one that's kind of sitting in the middle because he might have a GM job by the time this show comes out is Nick Casario, but he has denied a lot of interviews in the past. Yeah, these are all great. So I actually, on my list, I put Nick Casario as he would be my top candidate across all the NFL. And I know there's been a lot of talk about why do you, why would you pick a Belichick guy? I actually think Nick Casario is very different. I I really do. You can talk to anyone around the league. This guy, I don't know how many people know this. He sits on the headset with Josh McDaniels during games, talking offensive strategy. So he's like an operations scout coach. I mean, he's doing everything for the Patriots. So it's incredibly important what he does. And I think that's why he's been reluctant to leave because he wants to go somewhere where he can still be that guy. So Nick Casario would be up there. And like you said, he might have a job by the time the show comes out. I do agree with you about Will McClay. He's the de facto GM there. And unfortunately we, we might see a time where Jerry Jones cannot be as involved as he is. And it will be on the, the backs of Steven Jones and Will McClay to continue to run that team. Uh, I do think that George Payton could leave. I know that he has friend zoned your New York Jets, so maybe he wouldn't (laughs) be there. And then with the Ed Dodds, I will say this, uh, and I've said it on the show before. I think he is the best scout in all of football, but I've always heard that he might not want his own team. And that could obviously change, but it's always been like this idea that he kind of likes being in the shadows a little bit, you know, not being out in front of running a team and dealing with the press. And he just likes to scout players. We've seen guys like that in the past where, you know, that's, that's all they care about doing. And I wonder with Ed Dodds, if that's more of what we'll see. So those are the top four guys that I'm with you. Actually, Uh, if they left their current team, it would be a bit of a surprise to me. And one more note on McClay specifically that, because I think a lot of people might overlook these things. Working in the NFL at a prominent front office job is extremely, extremely stressful. And when you find an environment that you're making, let's be real, Matt, a lot of money. When you're a Mm -hmm. VP of player personnel, you do quite well for yourself in a environment that's comfortable. Here's the most important one. Will McClay has a teenage son that he's very happy, you know, to be around down in that area. So I think lifestyle is very important to a lot of these guys and something that might keep them where they are. So yes, all four of these guys, they might have GM jobs one day. It just seems like right now, all of that is comfortably on hold. Yeah, absolutely. Is. How about the guys who are like the, actually the type guys who we think could go, not the like dream scenarios like that, that top tier, like that's the Eric DaCosta group, you know, of like, man, these guys are great, but they're never going to leave. They have such a good spot. So 
Who are the others that you think are up there? So I had three key ones here, and I know you're going to have a lot more. Mike Borgonzi in Kansas City, he took over Chris Ballard's spot when Ballard left Kansas City, I believe officially as their director of football operations. So when you take over for Chris Ballard's spot, and he was in the running for that GM job at the time and still got a promotion, There's a lot of people that believe he's the real deal around the NFL, and I could see him start to get interviews, especially Kansas City's going to win a lot of games this year. They're going to win a lot of games for a long time with Patrick Mahomes there. I think that's going to set Borgonzi up for a job. Two from Cleveland, Elliot Wolf, who came from Green Bay, somebody who's still in his 30s. He's a young guy, viewed as a very, very bright guy, and Alonzo Highsmith. So you essentially have guys that are viewed as assistant GMs pretty much to John Dorsey. I know by title assistant GM and VP player personnel for Highsmith, but you look at these two Cleveland is expected to win this year, their scouting department, their front office. It's going to start to get tapped into as they completely rehauled that roster. Yeah. So here's where I have a ton. And and you said a lot of really good names. The only one I want to pull out there and talk about is Alonzo Highsmith. I have, and I hope this isn't the case because I, I think he's brilliant. Um, I've always heard that he doesn't interview well for these types of jobs. Like he's, he's kind of like an Ed Dodds where he just needs to like be behind the scenes, you know, doing uh, all the work to help a John Dorsey or when he was in green Bay to help Ted Thompson. Um, I do hope that Alonzo Highsmith gets a job one day, but that is something that has been out there. So I'm going to get a little bit wordy here with names and, and feel free to hop in Let it rip. when you want number one for me. And I, I, only ranked a few of them would be Ed Dodds. Again, we talked about him. Um, If a team could entice him with the right ownership and coach, he would probably be out. Mike Borgonzi in Kansas city is the most likely to be, you know, if jobs open this off season, I think Mike Borgonzi's name is just going to be way, way, way at the top of the list. You can look at, if you want to call it the Andy Reed tree, look at what the respect people have for Chris Ballard, Brett Veach, uh, even, you know, Joe Douglas, um, coming out of kind of a similar situation under Howie Roseman, those names, those types of guys are incredibly valued right now in a league that has become very coach controlled. I think Mike Borgonzi is going to have room to pick his spot. A guy who was almost the GM of the New York Jets, uh, Scott Fitterer and, and Trent Kirchner, both coming out of Seattle. Those are, are names that maybe three, four years ago would have been talked about as top GM candidates. Then the Seahawks kind of took that step back. Think about how quickly they rebuilt on the fly. They never had a losing season. Even after losing Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Brandon Browner, they just loot Doug unbelievable. It's amazing. They reworked everything and kept winning ball games. So I think Trent Kirchner and Scott Fitterer are names that fans will really hear more about. And and they've interviewed for jobs. I, I believe it was Fitterer that um it interviewed for the Lions job back in the day. So he was the are, Jets backup. Yeah, exactly. If they didn't so, get Joe Douglas. And they were actually negotiating with him, which is smart. I'm not I'm not throwing shade at the Jets. It's smart because if Joe Douglas said no, you got to have someone ready to go. So Scott Fitterer is a, a very impressive name. And as is Trent Kirchner, Kevin Abrams, who is basically the assistant GM with the New York Giants. I know a lot of people don't love the way that they've drafted, but he has a great reputation. I actually know quite a few people that had hoped he would have been given the GM job instead of Dave Gettleman being brought back to the Giants. Um, when they finally made some moves there. Uh, Ryan Cowden, who's with the Tennessee Titans, doing a fantastic job underneath John Robinson. His name will be hot very quickly. Joe Hortez with the Ravens, another lieutenant who's very, very highly thought of. You mentioned George Payton earlier. Matt Russell, who with the Denver Broncos. When I first started in this job, Matt Russell was one of those names of like, this is a young dude. You know, you want to get you want to get him as a contact if you can, because he's going places. Unfortunately, or and I think by his own doing, so if we say unfortunately, he got a DUI, ran into a little bit of trouble, and that buzz kind of died down. But it is definitely coming back up. People look at what he's done and the staff that he could build. They're very excited about Matt Russell. You mentioned Elliot Wolf. Obviously, his dad, Ron Wolf, everyone knows and respects the job that he did in the NFL for a long time. Elliot got passed over in Green Bay, and I think it put a little bit of a dark cloud on the perception of him because people thought like, okay, well, if his dad's franchise doesn't want him to be the GM, should we? Which, I think going to Cleveland helped him. You and I have heard some pretty crazy stories about that, how essentially it almost feels like he was pushed out there out yep. of like legacy fear, right? 
that's a, the vibe I always yep. got. That it was like, no, this guy's really smart. This guy's really good at his job, but he got pushed out because let's be real. When you have Ron Wolf's son there, there's always going to be a fear that he's next in line. So I, I would, I let me just say this: I would bet the house on Elliot Wolf being a GM in the future. Yeah, I agree. I think you will, and I think the work he's done in Cleveland, people are taking notice and being like, "Damn, that kid's really." And he's not a kid anymore. I mean, hell, he's older than me. But I, I think he still thought of that way because he's he's Ron's son. But he's really, really good at his job. So I would put him on there. Last name for me, Monty Austinfort. If Nick Casario doesn't take the Texans job, Monty might. He's that highly thought of. Um, He was able, I think last year there were teams that put out feelers for him, but the Patriots were still playing. So they were able to deny him interviews. But he might be in the up-and-comer group that we're going to talk about. But Monty Austinfort is a, a really interesting name right now. That's a great, great list. And I'm glad that you went through Ryan Cowden because I originally had him on my underrated scouts. But I think those days are over because he's been promoted about a year ago to VP of player personnel under John Robinson in Tennessee. And they absolutely knocked this draft out of the park. So I think Ryan Cowden's name is only can continue to kind of skyrocket here, especially if that guy Marcus Mariota can start winning Tennessee some ball games down there. Uh, I think you could hear him getting some interviews. All right. This is probably my favorite tier that we do. And I'm really excited to get your thoughts here of some of the underrated scouts and front office members across the NFL. Yeah, man, this is the fun part because these are the guys that we can like young players. We can watch and, and try to learn about them. So uh, I'm going to start it off here. I think Andrew Barry is a very hot up and comer with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, he is, I think viewed as more of like a numbers guy than a, a road scout kind of player or, or personnel guy, but I would keep an eye on Andrew Barry. Adam Peters with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, He was brought in when John Lynch was hired away from the Denver Broncos. And a lot of people were shocked that Denver let him go. But Adam Peters is very much a hot name. Rex Hogan, uh, the other uh, director in Indianapolis, has a great reputation. Champ Kelly, who's with the Chicago Bears, might even go to the Eagles to work under Joe Douglas. He's very highly respected. James Lipfer is a name to watch in Houston with the turnover there. When Brian Gain got James Lipford, people around the NFL were pissed. They were like, this isn't fair. Lipford shouldn't be going to a team this good. Like He needs to go somewhere where he can be buried for a couple of years instead of going to a playoff team where he can flourish. So Lipford, well, I'll be interested to see where he lands after the shakeup in Houston. Dan Morgan, uh, who was in Seattle for a long time, played in the NFL for a long time. Uh, he is someone that a lot of people really respect uh, how he has done with the Buffalo Bills transitioning from a player to an area scout and up the ladder to a director, John Salji with the Tennessee Titans. A lot of people are watching Tennessee because of John Robinson, uh, because of Ryan Cowden. Uh, I think John Salji's next on that list there. And then Andy Weidel, who another guy uh, just has a great reputation with the Eagles. I think we're going to see a lot of people try to tap into Philly because of how successful Howie Roseman has been while really meshing a lot of different ways of scouting and he gives his scouts room to talk. He he lets them be involved in the decision-making process. We've seen that with Seattle Green Bay as owners and coaches gravitate toward those guys. I think we could see Philly become a really, really hot spot where a lot of GMs come out of there in the next few years. And to play off of that, it sounds like Joe Douglas, Joe Douglas has two lieutenants, essentially Matt, that he worked with in Baltimore for a very long time. And those two are Andy Wydell and Ian Cunningham. So those guys are both on contracts. I believe in last year of their contracts in Philadelphia right now, Wydell is the director of player personnel. So he was basically working hand in hand with Joe Douglas and Cunningham is the director of college scouting. It sounds like Douglas is going to try to poach at least one of those guys. And all three of them are from this Ozzie Newsome tree where Let's be real. If Tacosta wasn't the heir to the Iron Throne there for so long, it probably would have went to one of those three eventually in Baltimore. So I yeah. think when you look at that Ozzie Newsome tree, which trickled to Philly and now might all trickle to the New York Jets, those guys are going to start to spread across the NFL. Yeah, it is going to be fascinating to watch. And I know some people might have heard us talking like, how do you evaluate these guys? I don't know that you actually can from the outside looking in. I think it's one of those things where you almost have to be somewhat plugged into the league. And I'll I'll give credit to guys like Albert Breer. I, I think he does a fantastic job of staying on top of this. And I know for a long time, 
this has been one of the things that he prioritizes with his work. So uh, keep an eye on, on his Twitter account, on his articles. And I, I know it might sound weird that I'm plugging another dude, but he's really, really good at at what he does, keeping up with these front offices. So uh, we'll do our best to to do to evaluate these guys as well and, and to keep you updated on, on who the next GMs will be. Let's take a break, Connor. When we come back, dude, it's time to smash the over on some teams that we think are going to be better than Vegas does in 2019. All right, it is time to pick our teams that we're going to smash the over on for Vegas win totals. Matt, I know we've done our power rankings. We've done our underrated teams, breakout players, all of that. But we're going to have a little fun with gambling this year, especially uh, BR betting is somewhere that everybody should be going to right now. That is really going to ramp up here at Bleacher Report, and we're going to get in on the action. So first, I am going with one that I am extremely confident in, the Indianapolis Colts over nine and a half wins because I think this is simply a 10 win team right now, Matt. I don't think the Texans did enough to keep pace in that division. I think the Colts just keep building, building, stacking healthy Andrew Luck, some more weapons there. They have a very, very young core that's only going to get better going forward in these next couple of years. Uh, set at nine and a half, I, this would have been much more difficult at a simple 10. But I think the Colts, it's their floor should be 10 wins. Yeah, I agree. I love the Colts. They're only going to get better this year. More continuity on the offensive line. Year two of Darius Leonard. I thought they had a really good draft. We talked to Quincy Wilson just a couple shows ago about his development. I, I think the Colts, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the Colts are a team that we'll, we're definitely going to be watching as an AFC contender. I'm going to slide down my list because you said something about the Texans that I agree with. I don't know if they did enough to keep up with the Colts. Mello pointed out on the Monday show, the Jags are a team that he thinks could surprise some people this year. I actually am going to take the over on the Texans at eight and a half. The only reason that I'm going to do that is because they have Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. And I think those two dudes are bad enough to give this team nine wins. I really do. I know the schedule is tough. I know that division is tough, but I have so much faith in Deshaun Watson that I would actually advise you guys to take the over on the Texans at eight and a half wins. I don't think it's crazy at all. Cause guess what? These teams combined for 21 wins last year. The Texans yeah. won 11 games. The Colts won 10. Why can't they do it again? That's as simple. I mean, that's a vision as a whole won a lot of games. So, all right, my second one, yes, it's going to be a Homer pick, but I really do think this is a low, low pick. And it is my New York Jets set at seven. If they don't win eight games, 500, so eight and eight, a simple eight and eight after all the money they have spent. Year two of Sam Darnold. They hired Adam Gase because they felt like he is a win now coach in quotes. The Jets better finish at least 500, Matt. I mean, this is not me being a fan. This is not me saying, oh, they're better than that over under total. Seven is extremely low for a team that the second half of the schedule is not very hard. They have a team in their division that seems to be openly tanking with the Miami Dolphins. I, I'm just saying, if they go seven or worse than that, I mean, everybody that's not named Joe Douglas might be showing the door. <laughs> it, you know, honestly, uh, there's so much hope for Sam Darnold out there in the NFL, and I know that there have been a lot of reports that Sam Darnold was a big reason that Joe Douglas took the job, that Adam Gase took the job. And I, for them to lose nine games, you know, to be under seven wins, I would have to think that Darnold doesn't take the step that we all expect. That's the only way I can see that happening or some kind of major injury or maybe Le'Veon Bell lost it in that time away from the field. I don't know. I mean, on paper, they look better than than seven wins. So how about the Chicago Bears? People who've been listening to the show the last few weeks probably have picked up on the fact that I think this team could be really, really good this year. The over set by Vegas right now is nine and a half wins. I am taking that over, and this isn't just me talking. I'm actually putting money on this oh, because I, love it. I think the Chicago Bears are going to be a very good team. That defense is just nasty. The offense is going to be better this year. And I know that like Green Bay's got a healthy Aaron Rodgers. They also have a first-time head coach uh, in Matt LaFleur, who I don't, I don't know how much I believe in him. So I think the Bears' schedule is not that bad. I mean, the, yes, that division is tough. It's always going to be tough with the Lions, Vikings, and Packers, but... 
I do feel like this team could win 11 or 12 games and not really have to have things break perfectly. If they can get a kicker in here, I think the Bears could win 12 games and be the number one seed in the NFC. So I'm taking the over on the Bears at nine and a half. It's true. That one seems a little low, especially I would argue that somehow Matt Nagy is still underrated in a sense. Like it's kind of bizarre. You feel like even if the Bears struggle a little bit or get bit by injuries, the coaching staff is good enough to overcome some of that. So I, I like them at 10 wins at least. I'm with you there as well. The Ravens, the no-respect Ravens, I'm putting them over eight wins. I mean, let's be real here. This is your team, dude. They won 10 games last year <laughs> with a rookie Lamar Jackson at quarterback, okay? And they won nine games the year before that. They got this guy, Earl Thomas, that I believe is still elite at football on the back end. Him and Tony Jefferson, some good cornerbacks. You know they can get after the quarterback. Uh, I think this is a very, very good defense that – will make the offense work with Lamar Jackson and just grind out ugly, ugly wins. So the Ravens, I mean, once again, eight is a little disrespectful. I think this is a nine or 10 win team. Uh, I, I worry mostly about losing CJ Mosley. And I know that's like, that's oh, fair. you worry about an inside linebacker. It's just, I worry about the leadership. And I know Earl Thomas is, Earl's my guy. And having Earl and Tony back there is amazing. That I feel like the Ravens could go eight and eight. I think Vegas is pretty smart on that one. Yeah. Uh, here's <laughs> one that I this. they are good at this. There's a reason they have all the, the towers that they keep building and the rest of us don't. I saw this one and I was shocked. The Raiders are six and a half win over under right now. Oh my God, I'm taking the over on this by like three and a half games. I think the Raiders are going to make a wild card run. They're They're probably a playoff team for me when it's all said and done. I, I really do think that even if you don't have a high opinion of John Gruden, I think my son could get six and a half wins out of this team. Like there's so much talent out there. Throw it to AB. It's not that hard. Hand it to Josh Jacobs. It's not that hard. So I think the Raiders at six and a half. I don't know what Vegas is seeing if they're predicting an injury or that someone's just going to go off the rails here. I, I think this team is way too talented for six and a half. I'll tell you the two things that scared me with the Raiders over six and a half. It was the division because yeah, God damn is, it. That's they, fair. Have, they have to play the chiefs. They have to play the chargers and the Broncos are kind of getting better. They have a tough schedule, Matt. I mean, they open up okay against the Broncos. They can win that game. Then they open up. Then they play the chiefs the Vikings, the Colts, the Bears, the Packers, and the Texans. That's a tough, tough start. Now, I'm not betting against you. I'm just saying the reason why <laughs> it's so low is that is that's the hardest division in football. That's why. So it's, it's going to be tough for Oakland, but it's put up or shut up time for Derek Carr and John Gruden. So I'm excited, and they got a lot, lot better this year. All right, my last one, Eagles over nine and a half. If Carson Wentz does not get hurt, this team will win 11 games. Okay. I mean, nine and a half. It's only that low because of the injury scare. That's the only thing I could think of. If Carson Wentz is healthy with that defense, Fletcher Cox, one of the baddest dudes in football, the Eagles in that division. Come on, man. Come on. I mean, the giants, the Redskins. Yeah. The Cowboys are going to give them a hard time, but it's not like they're sitting in this division with powerhouse after powerhouse. I really, really like them over nine and a half wins. I do too. And I know, I, I think I saw a tweet where someone was upset because we keep praising the Eagles and not talking about the Cowboys. So here you go, Cowboys fans. I actually believe this too. <laughs> the over under set at eight and a half. I think the Eagles and Cowboys are going to just beat the shit out of each other in that division. And they everyone both, else in it. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and destroy the two other teams. I think they both make the playoffs. I will take the Cowboys over eight and a half. They're just solid. They're just a really good team. Dak to Zeke, Amari Cooper. We're going to see him continue to thrive. You bring back Jason Witten. This team is just really, really solid. And you might not think that Jason Garrett can win a Super Bowl, but he can get a team to the playoffs. We've seen that. Rod Marinelli is still a master. I think the offensive line is going to be much better this year with Travis Frederick, hopefully healthy. Tyron Smith, healthy. They have the, the group up front to power this team to a playoff run. So, yes, I think the Eagles, if Carson Wentz stays healthy, they're going to be a team to reckon with in the NFC. But I would not sleep on the Dallas Cowboys as a team that can make some noise as well. All right, so those are our – we each took four. I would love to know everyone else's thoughts. Who are the teams that you are all in on smashing the over on for their win total this year? Let's hear it from the Stickies. 
And they're also doing a pretty good job with that sticky chug challenge right oh now, man. Oh my god, it's amazing. It's taking off. It is taking off. And I know my fate is coming. We are both doomed soon. <laughs> so, all right, we're going to take a break, uh, and then we're going to get through your draft on draft questions for this week. All right, it is draft on draft time. We should tops and pouring out our, our glasses to chug these beers because our stickies are kicking our asses. They're also raising money for my foundation, which I, I love you guys so much for doing that. Thank you. Let's get to the draft on draft questions. Matty Ice, 1996 on iTunes. Hey, guys, love the pod. Who are your most underrated college football players of all time? Man. That is a tough question. Very, very tough question. Of all time, I mean, I'll tell you yeah. one that was very underrated for a long time. Recent, a recent one was actually Quentin Flowers. Like he was great oh, yeah. for USF and really did not get any spotlight there. Like they were winning a lot of games throughout his tenure there. So I look at Quentin Flowers. That's one of the more recent names that comes to mind for me. It's tough when you really, really dig deep into the past because we're so in the weeds with the draft right? that I don't know who is technically underrated, per se. Who would you, who would you say that jumps out in recent years to you? Matt? So I think that's the hard part is, like, what dictates being under or overrated, you know? Like, would you, I would say that, like, um, I think Lamar Jackson isn't underrated. I know people would be like, the dude won the Heisman. He probably should have won it the, the next year when it was actually better. So I think he is someone that I would consider underrated because he doesn't get talked about enough as a college football player about how great he was. Um, man, this is such a tough question to limit it, especially to recently. I think Mark Ingram was very underrated That's at Alabama. Um, and again, trying to not talk about these guys as draft prospects, just talking about them as college football players. Um, is it possible for Tim Tebow to be underrated? Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at some of the performances he had, no matter how ugly they are, were just incredible. I oh, mean, I have one. I don't know. Sorry. I don't know why. Please. I just thought Lindale White. Oh, Lindale very, White was a fucking okay. stud. And here's why. Because he played on the same team as Reggie Bush. Yeah, that's it. That's why. I mean, holy shit. He was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I love, man, I loved him. And I hated him because they had to play Texas that year, but he was so good. Um, if I could be a homer, I think that Colt McCoy is very underrated as a college quarterback. Sure. I know people at Texas, like guys who played at Texas, who will say he was a better quarterback than Vince Young. Like if they had to play with one of them, they would take Colt McCoy. I think he's underrated. Uh, I think Drew Brees was underrated in college. The dude was fucking amazing. Uh, go back and watch that. Thankfully for me, that's like the glory days of college football to me is that late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, Drew Brees was unstoppable. Brad Banks, at Iowa, was a monster as well. Um, I love all those old early 2000s teams. Alex Smith at Utah was really, really good. He got overshadowed by like Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush. Adrian Peterson was in college then. Vince Young was in college then. And it's like everyone forgot about Alex Smith. He was the number one pick in the draft. But, man, back in the day when no one else ran that Urban Meyer offense, he was impossible to stop. How about one close to you, Matt? Brad Smith at Missouri. That's a good one. That's a really, really good one. I mean, yeah. he played quarterback for four years at Missouri as the starter. He had uh, 56 passing touchdowns and he also ran like a here's the crazy thing about brad smith he had three seasons over a thousand rushing yards yeah while still throwing and to go back to your lendell white point his junior year at usc he had over 1300 rushing yards averaged 6.6 .6 yards per carry he didn't even break 200 carries with 24 touchdowns yeah it's crazy how good he was it's and that so they underrated. didn't give him the ball in crunch time in that rose bowl game is one of the greatest moments of my life. So uh, I'm really, really happy for that. That's a fun question though. I would love for people because obviously we're not going to think of everyone right off the top. So I would love for people to comment here and let us know really recently. I'm going to throw one more in there. Do you remember Jordan Lynch at NIU? Yep. I, I think he was a very good college football player who didn't get a ton of love. So um, we could do this for like every year. Like it's who was insane. the most, you know, who is the most uh, underrated player for Lynch this Lynch had, like, crazy season. stats, didn't he? He really did, I remember, yeah. like, re 
ridiculous, ridiculous stats. And I think he got some Heisman consideration, but it wasn't like real, you know? It was, yeah, it's just it's like, like, hey, this this undersized guy at NIU is lighting right. shit up. Uh, One more he, name. Bro- he broke records, too. He did. Troy Smith, Ohio oh, State. Troy Smith was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. Now I want to watch old college football all day. Thank we, you, We can Matty do Ice. this literally all day. And if we throw Mello on here as the third oh man, God. we would sit here for hours. Hours yeah. and hours and He hours. would list like third string Texas players yeah. that everyone has forgotten <laughs> That he thought was about. underrated. Right. It would happen. Oh, all right. Man. Ant the Oreo. This is our guy. A franchise quarterback should be someone you win because of, not just with. Darnold, for instance. Can the Jets win with him? Sure. But can he elevate those around him? I think there needs to be a distinction. Thoughts? So we kind of mentioned this when we were doing the quarterback rankings that, um, and I want to like write it down someday and really like sketch out my thoughts. But I do agree with Ant here that there are quarterbacks that can win you games. And then there are quarterbacks that will lose you games. And then there are the guys in between who need everything to break right for them to win. Like Tom Brady, you know, Drew Brees. I I think you could even say, you know, Big Ben, Phillip Rivers, Russell Wilson, Mahomes, Luck. Those guys win you games. They do things that allow you to beat teams that you maybe shouldn't beat. And, and then you have the guys that are going to lose you games. You know, you have the the Mariotas, the Winstons, Ryan Tannehill, players like that. And, and then the, the in-betweens, you the know, Derek Carr, guys. Dak Prescott. Uh, yeah, so I, I agree. There should be tiers and not tiers like everyone was doing with that tier maker website of like, oh, elite, almost elite. But I, I know a lot of people in the NFL think of it this way of, you need a, a franchise quarterback is a guy that you can win games with, not you have to have a great defense or you have to have Saquon Barkley or someone like that in the backfield. I mean, I, I think the fringe list is the most fascinating because this could cause debate for literally weeks between people. And like my most interesting fringe guys are Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff. I was going to say Goff. Yep. Derek Carr, Dak Prescott. Oof, that would piss some people off. I think Trubisky has a chance to break the fringe list this year. I yep. think Darnold and Allen have a chance. I already think Baker is not fringe. I think Baker's a franchise guy. They won games because of him last year. Um, it's it's fascinating, man. It really Mariota needs to get the fuck off the fringe list if he wants to stay the quarterback of Tennessee. He's got it. He, yeah, I think if there's actually a question about that, so I'm gonna wait. I mean, it's the next question. Okay. Let's just roll right into it. Riley Loveless, are Mariota and Winston on their way to becoming backups, or will a desperate team or a team with a quarterback guru coach pick them up like Oakland, the Giants, Cincinnati, or do they stay put? And I really do think we're at a crossroads where it could almost go anyway. Like Mariota, especially Mariota, because he's been better than Winston. Let's just be honest about it. I feel like he's so close that... You know, they've made the playoffs with him, and they maybe they're going to be okay with him as their guy on a run-heavy, strong defense team. But I think that they are the type of players, and maybe we break this in. I think Mariota could be a backup. I think, I think absolutely. I don't think Jameis Winston could be. I just don't see him having the traits to be a backup. It's like he's either the starter, and you're okay with the interceptions, and you're okay with the off-field, or he's out of the league, basically. I don't think that's crazy at all. I think if I had to make a prediction, I would predict that both teams move on from these guys after the year. I really yeah. do. And I hope Mariota figures it out, and I hope Winston under Arians figures it out. If you had to pick, and it's close, you could see it working out for both of them if a couple things go right. I wouldn't be shocked if teams, ex- at least if the teams explore the quarterback class. And oh, yeah. They'll always get a chance, these two, because they're young, and it's like, well, the situation. Teams always do the, well, he wasn't in a good situation, and we're better here. Like, coaches love, love, love that. They love doing it. They always do it. It's always, well, we can make it work. So I think they'd get a couple more chances. And like you said, Matt, Mariota has had some fine, fine seasons and stretches of play where, at the minimum, he could be a very reliable backup. And you don't have to worry about him. Like yeah. Winston has been a problem a lot. And no, if you're the backup quarterback, you are the last guy on the roster that has room besides the punter and long snapper to be a problem. <laughs> so, all right. That was a great question. Next one from our guy, Patrick Chamberlain. He has two here. 
with two unexpected GM firings in the last few weeks alone, who would you put money on to be the next GM fired? I always, I, I love Patrick. I always hate this question because it feels like we're calling for someone's job. But to, to be honest and answer it, I think that Jason Light has to be way up there on that list because like we just said, you've hitched yourself to Jameis Winston and there's really not a contingency plan there. You hire a coach out of retirement to try to fix Jameis Winston and it's like the rest of this roster isn't that bad. But you could point to missing on uh, Aguayo, the kicker. You could point to missing on Ronald Jones at running back unless he has a hell of a bounce back this year. They haven't done a great job of building an offensive line there. And they've retooled their D-line with a lot of old guys. And we'll see what Ndamukong Sue can do there. Obviously, he was cheaper than Cheryl McCoy. But they they got a lot of eggs and a lot of weird baskets. So I could see Jason Light being the first one fired, especially if I think we'll know pretty early on if the Jameis Winston-Bruce Arians relationship is going to work. I know where I'd throw my cash down. Bob Quinn in Detroit. Ooh, that's interesting. Because if they don't win, if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think they blow the whole thing up. And we just talked about that Chicago team, and they got that Green Bay team, and that Minnesota team. Good luck. Good yeah, luck. That's a, that is a good one. And... I think there's been enough friction there and I, with Matt Patricia, you know, trying to get his own kind of guys in there. Yeah, that that is a really interesting one because and I don't think Matt Patricia would survive it either because they're tied at the hip. No, I think they'd be gone. All of them. Yeah. What all about them. Steve Keim? I mean, I don't know what else to say. I, I think he you got have to, pick, to give that. He picked more time. two top 10 quarterbacks in the span of a, of 366 days or whatever. Yeah, it's wild. And he picked a coach that like, I love Cliff Kingsbury. I hope it works, but man, it was bold to hire a guy who just got fired from his alma mater in college for not winning. It's yeah. I don't know what else Kime can do, but once again, I love what Arizona did this off season. Look at that yeah. division, Matt. Like it's insane. The Rams, Seattle they could legitimately win four or five games and be a better team. Yes. But that division's just so good. It's it's way too good. Way too good. And Pat's follow-up question. Now we're really going to sound self-serving after this rant. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Who gets a GM gig first, Matt or Connor? Uh, I don't think I'll ever be a GM. So, oh, I won't be. There's yeah. no way. I'm too much of a loose cannon. I, I just, it would really shock me if that many media people get job. If I'm like 50 and a couple of things go my way, sure, I, would, I would love, it would be fun. It'd be a blast. Be an absolute blast, but I think uh, the chances of that seem slim right now yeah. for us. You're young enough that you could align yourself right. You know, you could do a, a McShay, Joe Douglas type thing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think the toughest thing for me will be, and Mike Mayock overcame this, which hat tip to him, and it sounds like McShay might overcome this very soon, is that I never worked for a team, Matt, which is right. something you always talk about. And now... Right. On the flip side, something that you've talked about recently that I find interesting and a firm believer in, uh, yes, I'm biased, but I still believe in it, you don't develop the same bad habits when you don't work right. in the NFL. It's very so, true. When I have conversations, and I know this happens to you a million times a year, with guys and scouts that are great at their jobs, there's certain conversations where I go, man, like I just don't, like that's not the way I was taught, and that's not the way I view things, like thresholds. Yeah, you run in a lot to it. Well, this is why we've always done it. Exactly. Like Jonah Williams, case yeah. number one. And I'm like, well, what about this player, this player, and this player where that was different? And and you're like, guys will get mad at you. Guys that are your friends will get mad and be like, well, this is just how it is. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> That's like what your parents told you when you were four years old. Exactly. It's yeah. crazy to me. And outliers, I mean, there's more outliers in NFL scouting than ever before right now. A fucking five foot ten quarterback just went first overall. Yeah. A, a guy that was the best tackle in college football for three years was graded as a guard on 26 and 26 boards. Like, it's just bad habits. Really bad habits. And I'm sure we've formed our own, but it's just it goes to the point I like the concept of hiring media scouts to mesh with NFL scouts because it brings in a different perspective into the room. And I, 
again, I'm not trying to be self-serving or, or brag or anything here, but I've definitely had conversations with guys, you know, my age or younger than me who are in the NFL and are, I think they will be GM someday or at least high level guys. And, and I've joked with them about like, Hey, you're going to take me with you. And it's always like a man, that would be fun. Like to try to take like my theories and philosophies and the, their theories and philosophies and from two different backgrounds and see, you know, put that together in a room and could it work to build a team? I think that's a lot of it is like, there's this, would it work? And a lot of people are watching Mayock to see if it, if it will work. And obviously we're very different from him. He played in the NFL, uh, which, which helps it, it frankly does. Todd McShay played uh fairly high level college football. That helps things like that. Absolutely helps. So maybe field Yates is actually the next, uh, the next GM. It's great. Played some college football, interned with the chief scouting department before he broke into the media. So I'll just start that rumor now that the field is going to be the next NFL GM. <laughs> I'm confident he doesn't want that job, but um, he's if he doing does, pretty well. You know, I, I would I would go hang out with Field. Final question here for Draft on Draft. This is another one from iTunes. Love when you guys send those in. Easiest way for us to see them. I am Jack Pollard. Jack is a big Hokies fan. He had a lot of awesome things to say about the show. I condensed the question. He wants to know, what do we think of Ryan Willis, the quarterback at Virginia Tech this year? Man, he's from not far from me. He's from Overland Park, Kansas, right outside Kansas City. that's where he City. started his college career before yep. transferring. Yeah, so I like it. I mean, he's big. Uh, he definitely has. I, I think he has the arm. I think he has the mechanics. Like, I remember, and I'm looking at, like, notes from, from limited tape here, but I thought he had good mechanics. He's strong as a runner as well. Like, he can do some things on the ground. Not... I wouldn't say, you know, he's going to be out there running around making crazy plays with his feet, but good enough agility. I, I think he's absolutely someone to watch in a quarterback class where we feel like there are three guys at the top with Tua and from and, and Easton's up there as well. So I guess you would say there are four guys at the top, but I, I think Ryan Wills is someone to keep an eye on as a potential, you know, Daniel Jones type riser who could impress teams. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he had a really, really strong year. Of course, you're going to keep an eye on those accuracy numbers and like you said, you look at traits for him, a big, strong quarterback. So uh, the Hokies, it's been a wild kind of year for that program, but at least Willis will bring some consistency to them. And I know it won't be this year, but we really got to get out there for a game for tailgate tour. Got to yeah, do it. I mean, Clemson and Virginia Tech are the two that I'm like, we just can't go to every game we want to go to. And those are the two colleges that I'm like upset that we're not going to get to see. I actually said to Mello uh, yesterday, I think it was like we were talking about all the great receivers we're going to see this year. And he was like, it's just sucks. We're not going to see the Clemson guys. And I was like, well, man, we might be at the college football national championship. Exactly. And I got a feeling that they're going to be there. So it, it won't be at Clemson, which is is still a little bit sad. But I think we're going to be seeing the Tigers at some point. Yeah, we'll year. see them on the highest level before uh, they, not, they won't even be eligible. All of them. Right. The quarterback and Justin Ross won't even be eligible. It's unbelievable when you look at how good those guys are with Lawrence and Ross connection. But T. Higgins and ETN will be all over them. So, man, we went through a lot of stuff today. A lot of stuff. And I hope the Stickies enjoyed it. If you're doing the Sticky Chug Challenge, keep it going. Send three names. Uh, don't pick me or Matt, just saying. But send three <laughs> names Mello. and keep it going. Yes, pick Mellow. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Keep it going, guys. We absolutely love it. Uh, for Connor, this is Matt. We will all three be back together Friday morning for a very, very fun Stick to Football show. You guys have a good week. We'll talk to you real soon.